to open for you today. Whatever we're talking about, it's going to be the Bible, it's going to be Jesus, and it's got, other than general application, absolutely nothing to do with my own personal life. So, woo! There's one. I promised two more of those. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. It says 929. I guarantee I will have you out of here by 1045. <laughs> After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. This is the biblical terms, not my own. Please do not get all politically correct on me later. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. All right, so this seems like a pretty straightforward story. And given that we're in a series called The Absent God, it may be a little tough to determine where is God absent in this. Uh, it starts out, it's a, it's a beautiful Sabbath day, which probably would have been a Saturday. Um, Jesus, we, we don't really, there's a lot of sort of brushed over details, so we don't have specifics, but it kind of looks like Jesus skipped church. So... You know how that is. It's a beautiful day. It's probably springtime. He's like, I just don't want to go there. So he's out walking, and he ends up at Bethesda. And uh, what it was, as the scripture said, is it's this giant pool. Uh, it's, it's a complex. I looked at the pictures. Um, it's a little tough to tell if the pictures online are, are a true representation of what it would have looked like in Jesus' day. But it, looks, it seems to be there's like an upper pool and a lower pool. And uh, it's totally walled in, and then there's a, a wall of a colonnade that cuts right across the center of it, sort of dividing it in two. And what would happen is, is this was a place of healing. Now, if you were to read along in your Bible, or maybe you noticed it on, uh, on the overheads, there's nothing in verse 4. It goes straight from verse 3 to verse 5, and that seems like an odd thing to do, um, what happens in, in many translations of the Bible, as they get to this verse, they realize that verse 4 appears in a lot of later manuscripts, but not the earliest ones they can find. So the compilers of the Bible decide, you know what, if it wasn't in the original cut, we're not going to put it in. But see, and, and, and sometimes you, you get something like that going on and people go, well, you know, that right there lets me know that maybe something's going on with the Bible. You know, maybe people are monkeying around with it, and, and so maybe I can't trust it. Which, if you are among those who think that way or know somebody who is, check out the God Questions. Great book. Um, what it is, is it's just, it, it seems like an editor came along later and said, you know what, there's an important aspect to this story that people outside of the time of Jesus might not get. Because if you don't understand the importance of the Pool of Bethesda, then you're not going to understand the importance of the story. And so verse 4 includes the fact that it was commonly understood in that day, Jesus' day, this day Jesus is walking around, that 
periodically throughout the day, a couple times a day, an angel would come down and would sort of stir up the waters. And once that angel stirred up the waters, the waters would take on this miraculous healing property that whoever first entered into those waters after they had been stirred up would be healed of whatever their deal was. And so this place is just over, just inundated with all the sick and the lame, um, the, the uh, handicapped? No, that's not right. Uh, the disabled? I'm, I don't know what the word is anymore. But people that weren't 100% physically right. And so it could be any form of, of physical... Uh, Man, I'm, I, this PC thing has just got me killed this morning. If you weren't right and you needed to be healed, this was the place to go. And I sort of picture this, and, and I'm picturing like, if you've ever seen pictures of like a field hospital in the Civil War, where just bodies are strewn everywhere in every, every manner of, 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 of horror and, and pain and suffering. And that's just what this place was like. And then a couple times a day, one of those people would manage to get healed. So Jesus is walking along, and he sees in this multitude, he sees this guy. And he looks at this guy, and it tells us Jesus understood that this guy has been there a long, long time. It tells us he's been an invalid for 38 years. Now, that's not how old he is. That's not how long he's been there. That's just how long he has been, whatever the nature of his particular problem was 38 years long. We also know, because it will tell us later on in in verse 14, that whatever this guy's problem was, it was sin-related. Whatever his problem, it had something to do with some sin he had committed in his life. Now, we don't know the exact nature of of his problem, but we know that uh, he wasn't paralyzed because he was capable of moving himself. He was capable of getting himself to the pool and into the pool. He just couldn't do it quickly. So maybe, maybe his legs are paralyzed. Maybe he has to drag himself along by his arms. We don't know. We just know he's, para- uh, he's an invalid. He's been an invalid a long time. He's been at this pool a long time. He's somewhere in the back because he's not like right at the edge. Like, you know, you're sort of thinking, you know, just, just like lay at the edge. And then when the water, you just sort of you know, do a roll thing, and it's like, woo, I'm healed. He wasn't even that close. And I don't know what the nature of the arrangement was at the Pool of Bethesda. Like, did they have attendance? I mean, people whose job it was to help, you know, it's like, all right, Mr. Jones, today's your day. Let's get ready. Or was it up to your family? You know, was your family expected to sort of be there and care for you, and it was their responsibility to, to help you into the pool when the moment came? Whatever it was, this guy had nobody. He is there. He is on his own. He doesn't appear to have any support, and it would seem to be that that pretty much he survives off the goodness and kindness of others. So Jesus is rolling around. Jesus sees this guy, and he's like, this guy's been here a really long time. And so he asks the guy, hey, guy, do you want to be healed? Now, it seems like a dumb question, but Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. 
Because a lot of times, Jesus' dumb question is an indication that Jesus sees beyond what we see. So we got this guy, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Why would the guy not want to be healed? Well, one, in many cases in the day, begging was a better income than working. So Jesus is saying, hey, you just out here to make some money? I mean, like, is this your livelihood? Like, if I healed you and you couldn't beg anymore, would you be okay with that? And a lot of times in our own lives, we have, we have certain things, we have junk, we have garbage in our lives that, that a lot of times God wants to deliver us from. But a lot of times we don't let him because we've, we've made peace with it. We've become comfortable with it. And, and somehow it becomes a part of who we are and we get to a point where we don't know who we would be or what things would be like without this thing. And so sometimes... You know, the devil you know is easier to live with than not having the devil there. So Jesus is like, is this your job or are you serious here? The other thing is, we know. It, it happened just before we get to this part of the story that Jesus kind of, in order to really do some things, he needs the faith of those involved. And so Jesus is saying, do you, do you even think you can be healed? Do you have the faith anymore? Because sometimes, when you've been living through hard times, when you've been going through something for a really long time, hope dries up. There was a time when you wanted to be delivered, you wanted to be healed, but then you've been living with it so long, you just get to the point where you just assume this is how it's always going to be. It tells us in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So Jesus is like, one, do you want to be healed, or is this your gig? Is this your racket? Two, do you even believe you can be healed anymore? Do you believe there's anything God can do for you? And the guy looks, the guy looks at Jesus. The guy is probably amazed that anybody has taken the time to even come and even consider him, even ask how he's doing. He's at the back of the field. He doesn't have anybody there for him. Remember, when God is absent, this guy has been sick for so long and on his own for so long, maybe he's one of those who's gotten to the point where he just doesn't see where is God. And how many times do we hear that same refrain in the world we live in, where's God? Tell me, you want to go on and on about God this, God that, where is God in the midst of what? We're going to come back to that. So the guy is just like stunned. He's like, sir, let me tell you right now, I would so love to be healed, but I don't have a single person who cares enough who can be here with me, who can sit with me and go through this on a daily basis so that they can help me down into that water. This guy's thinking has become so in the box, he doesn't even really answer the question. Jesus asks, do you want to get better? And this guy's answer is, I have no way 
to make this one venue open to me work for me? How many times does our understanding of our situation or our view of our situation or our thinking about what it is we need? Dear God, right now, here's what I need you to do. I need this thing. Boom, written in stone. And we become so focused on this thing that we are no longer open to the idea that the thing you're thinking about is dumb. It's dumb and it's small and it's lame and it's human. And God's going, no, 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 no. You don't want that. You want this because I'm going to do this and you want that. And we become so focused on what it is in our human understanding that's going to make the situation better, we don't put ourselves fully into God's hands to go, God, you do what you want to do because I know. And how often, how often is this the case in our lives? We don't know because we haven't lived enough life with God. I know that whatever you do, Lord, will be better than whatever it is I want. And that's where this guy is. He can't think about the fact that God might do something huge. He's thinking, you know what, nobody likes me enough to help me into the water. So Jesus stops and he thinks about it. He looks at this guy. Yeah, you know what, I don't think this is a racket. You know what, I don't think you're just trying to, trying to sit here and put one over on people. I don't think you're trying to take the easy way out. And I believe in your own kind of limited way, you believe you have the faith to be healed. So I'm going to tell you what, brother. Stand up, take that nasty mattress you've been laying on for 20 years, and go home. Not here, let me get you into the pool. Here, let me help you get closer. Here, let me find somebody who can spend some time with you and help you. Just boom, you're healed. And you know, the weird thing is, whenever Jesus does this, Jesus says to somebody, you're healed. It's not like there's a discussion. It's not like somebody's going, uh, am I? You know, it seems pretty easy to say I'm healed, but whenever Jesus says you're healed, they pick up, they stand up, they pick up their mat, and they go. Which this guy, and, and think about it, think about it. If this guy can't walk, this guy has just been laying on the ground all this time for a really long time, Muscle is going to start to atrophy, and strength is not there. And, and just walking is going to be difficult, let alone picking up your sleeping mat and, and wandering off. When Jesus heals, he does the whole job. He heals the whole thing. And so Jesus says, you're healed. The guy goes, okay. And he stands up, and he gathers up his stuff, and he, he goes. He's off. He's running. Now, the religious guys find out about it. And you know when the religious guys get involved, everything's just going to go in the dumper because that's what religious guys do. So they track this guy down. They're like, hey, 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 what's the deal? What's the deal? Why are you, we've seen you, what's the deal? He's like, I don't know. I was laying there, and this guy said, do you want to be healed? And I said, yeah, and he healed me, and now I'm healed. Which dude? I don't know. The, I was... Down there, and he was up there, and, you know, I'm, like, looking up his nose, and he had a beard and hair, and the guy. And they're like, we don't like the sound of this. The religious people never like the sound of anything. 
right now, you are getting offended at the way I keep using religious. You need to do a self-check. I'm just saying. So they're like, you know what? There's something sketchy about you, and we got our eye on you, because this whole thing just stinks. What? God came along, and God did amazing things? Doesn't sound right to us. So later on, this guy's wandering around. I don't know what this guy's doing. But Jesus meets him at the temple. So clearly, this guy has gone from where he is to the temple because he's like, I got to go praise God. I got to go thank him for what he's done. And Jesus, Jesus is like across the way, and Jesus is like, he comes up, he says, you go, and don't sin anymore because if you do, what happened to you before will be even, this will be nothing compared, that will be nothing compared to this. Uh, what did he say? I don't know, it's in here. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the guy's like, cool, I get it. I've had a really long time to think about my ways. I am a new man in more ways than one. And he goes his way, and Jesus goes his way. And it's a great story. It's about the power of faith and the power of God to do not just good things, but great things, amazing things, things bigger than what we can think of. And if you just stop right there, it's a good story. One thing, one thing, little thing. There are like 784,000 other people laying around that pool going, um, um, sir? And Jesus is like, have a good day. Bye. And Jesus wanders off. 784,000 people. It's in like the Greek. 784,000 people laying there waiting to be healed. And Jesus got things to do. Oh, I would love to come do something about your blindness. But I, the schedule, I just don't have time. Jesus is off and running. And it's one of these things that we look at and go, where is God? Our series, The Absent God, it would appear God is absent because Jesus heals one guy and then hits the bricks. We're like, Jesus, you're, you're God. You could, you could literally run through doing the, doing the low five thing and you could be healing like tens and twenties at a time. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be real time intensive. You could, you could bring in your other, you know, 12 guys, and you could just, you know, do the head pow. You got the spirit, and they could help. You could have this place cleared out by, like, three. Why? Where's God? All these people looking at this guy they've seen forever, and they're like, look at what God did. Look at what God, and there's hope. When you see God at work, there's hope. And then you see the hope walk out the door. Jesus? What? Jesus, you got some explaining to do. And so I, I, I thought, man, I thought for like a couple weeks about this. What is the answer? What is this trying to tell us that Jesus, who could heal all these people, doesn't? And you know what the answer is? 
It don't matter what the answer is. Even if Jesus decided he needed to explain himself to us, we wouldn't get it. And see, that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is, even in Jesus' day, even when Jesus was in human form and walking around and at the height of his healing people game, sometimes God is not there. And if you look at your life, and you look at the life of the people around you, you look at the life of people in this town, you look at some of the stuff going on in this world, you can go, man, I just don't know where God is. And if we, who have enough faith to battle time change, to get up and be here on a Sunday morning, can look at our world and go, where is God? What is our answer to the rest of the world who doesn't have that faith, who doesn't know how God is, who doesn't know what it means to put your life in his hands, when they look at you and go, yeah, you show me in my life where God is. It's a question that's been asked for thousands. It was a question asked on that day. Where's God? Hey, guy who's been crippled 38 years. You, yeah, you want to tell me about God? Tell me where God is right now. You're going to throw some of your healing whammy on me? Where's God? And it's a hard question. And sometimes it makes it difficult to, to try to share the good news and the hope that we get from a life with Jesus because people look at us and all they have to do is ask that one question. Look at my life and tell me where God is. I'm going to give you the answer to that. When somebody asks, where is God? You look them right in the eye and you say, he's right here. You see, in the world we live in today, Jesus is not going to show up and fix things. Jesus is not going to fix anything. Oh, getting crazy. There's some concerned looks out there right now. See, what we, the last I heard, Jesus, like, flew to heaven or rode the clouds like an elevator or something, and the last kind of thing he said to us is, hey, I'm going to go take care of something else. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Thanks, Jesus. That's awesome. Really appreciate that. I'm really looking forward to it. really like the color green, just so you know. If Jesus is off being busy fixing a place for us, getting things ready for us to come and join him someday, who the heck is supposed to be running the show down here? Me. You. See, he said, and by the way, while I'm off off getting things ready for you, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come along, and he's going to kind of counsel you. He's going to teach you. He's going to motivate you, and he's going to inspire you. And then, it's all yours, baby. Think about this. Our world was placed in your hands. God said, God said, I got to go. 
I am making you the responsible adult. Folks, I can, nine times out of 10, I can't be the responsible adult for me, let alone the world around me. And I venture to say I'm not the only one who feels like that. I venture to say there's some who think, it's a good thing he left me in charge. I got it all figured out. Good, you let us know who you are, we're gonna put you out front. God left us in charge. That, and, and see, that's the problem. That's the thing we tend to miss is from the very beginning, God's idea was that this was going to be a partnership. We were going to work together. I mean, before they blew things in the garden, God's like, all right, uh, I got some other stuff to work on here. Adam, uh, you be in charge of animals. You go find him, throw a name on I don't, you know what, I trust you completely. I don't even care what you call it. Whatever name you pick is fine. Adam, you are going to be part of reigning here. You are going to be part of running things. You are going to be a steward of my creation, and you are going to help me run the world. And then Jesus, and, and we get this, this picture of Jesus, like Jesus is a superhero. Jesus can do anything. Jesus should still be able to fix things now. Jesus was remarkable. Jesus was God in the flesh. But the problem was, as God in the flesh, he ran into the same limitations we run into. He was not a superhero. He was not out there messing with the time-space continuum. Jesus had the same 24 hours in a day that we do. Jesus got tired. Jesus got sweaty. Jesus got hungry. Jesus needed to sleep. And Jesus knew, just like God knew, that what this world needed was more than he by himself could do. And that's why, this is, it may sound weird, Jesus got in his head that he was going to put together a group of people, right? Like the Jesus Justice League. And he was going to put a team together and the team was going to go out into the world and do the kind of things he did. That's why kind of, you know, again, one of like the last three things he said was that, hey, you guys now go out and get more team. And everything I taught you, you teach them. And everything I showed you, you show them. And all the examples I gave to you, you be to them. And we're going to have this team, and we'll send the team out, and they will share my word, and they will visit people, and they will fix people, and they will heal people, and they will bring goodness and light and hope to the world. And we've come to a place now where the world looks around and says, where is God? And we hide in our church going, uh, I'm going to pray about that and get back to you. When the world says, where is God? Scary as it is, you raise your hand and go, you know what, it may not look great, but he's right here. And that's why time and time again throughout the New Testament, we are told we need to go out and we need to be God in the world. Let me just throw a couple things at you. Philippians 2, verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, 
and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Proverbs 21.13. I know that's not in the New Testament. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Galatians 2.10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That one right there is, you know, I'm going to come back to that one. And then Proverbs 19.17, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. When you see the poor, the broken, the crippled, the, the, those who need hope and help and healing, and you do for them, it's like you are loaning to God. You are making a loan to him. God says, I need a little something, something here. Can you help me out, brother? Sure, God. God is like, you know I am good for this. I am going to get it back to you. But when God pays back, God pays back way bigger than our initial investment. Let me come back to James 1.27. James says, perfect religion in the eyes of God is on one hand to visit widows and orphans. And, and that's, that's sort of an example of a larger group. Those that the world has overlooked. The widows, the orphans, the helpless, the lost. And on the other hand, make sure that you remain, what does he say? Unstained by the world. Help other people and remain holy. And see, part of the problem we have at least in, in our Western idea of church, is that we have divided ourselves down the center line. Mm -hmm. And you have one part of church over here that's all very, you know, they're social justice warriors, baby. They're out there protesting. I mean, anything that can be protested, they're out there protesting. They're, you know, uh, uh, poverty and the homeless and immigration and, and guns and anything you can put a label on that needs a protest, you got this wing of the church out there, and they are just after it. And that's not bad, man. Martin Luther King, that was his thing. But Martin Luther King remembered there was this other side of the thing where, you know what, I can't go do this. I can't go act on behalf of God if I am not following after him, and I'm trying to pursue a personal holiness. So while that wing's over there, you got this other wing over there where we're just like, you know what, we're going to work, and we're going to pray, and we're going to be holy, and we're going to condemn sin wherever we see it. And we've now come to a point where you have this church over here, and this church over here, and they don't look anything alike, and nine times out of ten, they're working at cross purposes. You know, we're over here, and we're like, reverend such and such? How are you a reverend? I've never heard you talk about God. And then these guys over here are like, uh-huh. You love Jesus so much, you've, you've never gone out and acted on his behalf? We are expected to do both. And that's why one of the best things Christ Community Church has ever done, and I'm going to make a pitch, and I'm going to get real heavy, and I'm going to jump on you with both feet, and I'm going to play a guilt card on you. So I'm going to be upfront about it. I'm not going to be like manipulative. I am just going to flat out guilt you. 
One of the best things we have ever done is when we started doing Service Sunday. When we decided, you know what, we were going to take one Sunday every three or four months, and we were not going to do this. We were going to get together, we're going to sing a song, we're going to pray, and we are going to go out there. Because, see, those who need Jesus most are not here. They're out there asking the question, where is God? And when we started going once every three or four months to say, you know what? We're right here, baby. That is one of the best things we've ever done. Because as good as this is, and people, I, it may be pride, it may be bias. I think we do church better than most. I think our teaching is awesome, our prayer is awesome, our worship is awesome. I think we as a group of people are awesome. And when it comes to gathering before the Lord in worship and fellowship, ain't nobody does it better. Uh, Wow, okay, I'm the only one. Cool, it's okay, you don't have to think what I think. But as good as that is, we are never more Jesus-like than when we blow this off to go out there. And you know what? I would give up six Sundays of this for that last time we had service Sunday and we were out there and one of our groups, we were out there and we took the van and, and we had another group in a car and we were going out to people who are living in cardboard boxes and under trees and in parks and it was cold and they're hungry and we say, you know what? It's not a lot, but here's some water. Here's a granola bar. God loves you. There is nothing more Jesus than that. And that's why I'm going to tell you right now, we got another service Sunday coming up in April, I think. April 22nd. You need to be here. Too many people, and I'm not going to name names, but I know what the names are because they're all up in here. I'm just saying, I told you I was going to guilt. When we do service Sunday, you need to be here. Because to not be here is to say, you know what, that's part of following after God I'm just not interested in. And that's the part of following after God that matters most. Because even though it was a very specific situation, and even though he's talking to one specific guy, I think... The message applies to all of us. Do you love me? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I love you. Then go feed my sheep, even the lost ones. Not, do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Go to church. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Read your Bible. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Make sure you give regularly. All good things. But in the final analysis, Jesus' greatest concern was, if you love me, go feed my sheep. Would you stand with me as a close of prayer? Father, thank you for this beautiful day. 
Thank you for a little bit of sun we've had lately. Thank you for our, our willingness to uh, push off maybe the fatigue from the time change and that, that we all could come and we could gather here this morning. We could lift our voices and praise and worship to you. That we could put ourselves in a place where we say, Jesus, please come now, speak to me. Tell me what you want for my life. Tell me what I can do to be more like you. As you go from here this day, remember that true religion, true love of Jesus manifests itself in the love of other people. And not just people in the church, but the people out in the world who are lost and broken and hurting. Father, remind us each and every day that we live in a world where people are asking, people are crying out, where is God? And then, Father, direct us, embolden us, encourage us. Give us the courage and the strength to step forward and say, God is right here with me. I am right here with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.